I'm nearly blinded by the bright reflection of Lake Otero. It stretches 1,600 miles across the lush Tula Rosa Basin. Standing in one of the largest wetlands in the southwest, I know where there is water, there are animals, and I am hungry. I spot a Harlan's ground sloth across the grassland. I stealthily follow it where I am balancing my younger sister on my hip. Unable to carry her any longer, I drop her onto the soft ground below. She scampers to keep up with my pace. We leave a trail of deep footprints in the mud, pushing surrounding grass down with every step. We stalk the 10 foot tall sloth, which easily weighs one ton or 2,000 pounds. It moves slowly, making it easy prey as I step onto its fresh trunk. My knuckles whiten as I grip my long, stone-tipped spear. Suddenly spooked, the sloth turns around and rears up on its hind legs. Instinctively, I run towards it and with both hands thrust forward and stab my spear into the sloth's chest. 13,000 years pass and the climate warms over the last ice age, drying up Lake Otero. Mammoths and saber-toothed cats perish. All that remain are my footprints. Over the next 10,000 years, sand dunes accumulate on the floor of what becomes the Chihuahuan Desert. Nearly 23,000 years later, scientists discover our fossilized footprints along with ancient grass seeds. It is the earliest evidence of humans in North America. degrees north longitude 106 degrees west hi this is samantha i'm jeremy's younger middle sister not the annoying one you might remember we sledded down colorado's great sand dunes national park last august it's a 30 square mile area with sand dunes rising 750 feet tall just thinking about the sand burning my feet and sun beating down my back makes me sweat. Well, it turns out there are two national parks with sand dunes. That's right, I'm at White Sands National Park, one of the newest national parks. It's in southern New Mexico, completely surrounded by the White Sands Missile Range, where the first atomic bomb was tested. White Sands is almost 10 times larger than the Great Sand Dunes, but the dunes are much smaller, ranging from 30 feet to 60 feet tall. What lives on these desert dunes? Why does White Sands have the earliest evidence of humans on the continent? Do you want to learn about the ultimate survivor?
Well, come join me, Samantha, and let's enjoy the white sands of Hawaii? No. Florida? No. New Mexico. Come explore with me, Jeremy, in real life. Is it cool? 23,000 years later, I make footprints on possibly the only white sand, not a beach. I have some questions. Fortunately, the National Park Service has experts with answers. My name is Jackson Beckman. I am a interpretation intern here with White Sands. I, uh, I work for the Student Conservation Association. That's Jackson, an intern with the National Park Service. He led a really cool sunset hike into the dunes and we interviewed him afterwards. My first question is, how is this a desert that isn't dry? It's actually held together by water, sitting a foot below the dunes. The water acts like glue, keeping the dunes in place. Because even on the surface, even though this appears like a really dry, harsh desert environment, there is actually an ocean of water right beneath y'all's feet. Uh, because only one to three feet below the ground, if you start digging, you'll start finding an underground aquifer of water. Uh, and that water is basically going to percolate up through the sands and help keep them wet and help keep them anchored here at White Sands. Uh, Amelia, what's an aquifer? An aquifer is a body of permeable rock which can contain or transmit groundwater. Wait, another water-filled rock? I hope you just didn't Google that. Uh, maybe? Let's ask the expert. An aquifer isn't like an underground river. It's basically water in between the pieces of sand. So sand has a lot of pore size because it's really small. So it can fit a lot of water in between it. But it's still firm enough for us to walk around on. Because of the sand's moisture, the sand doesn't heat up like hot burning beach sand. You can come here on a 110 degree day in the middle of summer and you can still walk around barefoot on these sands. Uh, because it is keeping them at 100% humidity year-round. Even though there is water beneath the surface, the ability to find is key to survival. Um, and that's a big thing here at White Sands, is you have to be always looking for your water. So, what plants survive here? A Rio Grande cottonwood is definitely a survivor that has adapted to find water. But the cottonwood can't just hope that rain is going to fall on it. It has to be a little proactive in looking for its water. Uh, and so what the cottonwood is going to do is it's going to send out roots in all possible directions, trying to find as much water as possible. The hoary rosemary mint is another survivor that also uses its roots. With its root, it's sucking up so much water out of the sand that it's actually compacting the sand into a rock-like rock -like substance 
uh, and then the dune will just keep advancing along with the wind. And what you get left behind with once the dunes advance past it is a really beautiful uh, pillar that we call a pedestal. Uh, and it gives it a really good surface for that plant to grow on. And the roots of the silk tree Eucas survive even where the sand dunes move. On the surface here, we might only see, you know, seven, eight feet of this yucca. Down in the sand dune, it can be up to 30 feet down with its root. Once the sand dunes move along, it's, it's, it's just going to be able, it's just going to have to fall over, but it gets to survive for another day. And that's, that's really the big thing at White Sands here is just surviving for another day. These plants also provide an essential habitat for animal survivors who can burrow. It's actually going to provide a lot of the habitat for what lives in the dune field full time uh, because inside of those pedestals it can be up to about 30 degrees cooler in the daytime and about 30 degrees warmer in the nighttime. So inside of those pedestals you're going to find a lot of burrowing animals uh, like Apache pocket mouse, uh, uh, kangaroo rats, and actually the largest animal that lives in the dune field full time, the biggest baddest predator out here uh, is actually a kit fox. Perhaps the ultimate survivor is human. One month before I visited the sand dunes, scientists discovered fossilized grass seeds along with human footprints. And why it was so important that we found those seeds in between the layers of footprints is that it allowed us to carbon date those seeds and say when those seeds were deposited, these footprints were deposited. And what we found at the very bottom layer of seeds and bottom layer of footprints is that we dated those seeds to about 23,000 years old. Um, and I know that just sounds like a really big number out of context, uh, but that is actually about seven to 10,000 years older than the previous evidence we had of human beings being in North America at all. This discovery showed humans survived here thousands of years longer than previously thought that it tells us that we have been here in this Tularosa Basin for a really long time. Uh, and those people 23,000 years ago were watching the exact same sun set over those exact same San Andreas Mountains. Why is it unique? This isn't your mom's kind of sand. It's not beach sand or the stuff found in your neighbor's sandbox. This fine, glistening, powdery white sand rivals Bora Bora. That's because it's made from gypsum. White Sands is the largest and one of the only three gypsum sand dunes in the world. The gypsum sand is basically rare because once it gets in the water, it just keeps getting carried out to sea and it never really gets to accumulate into uh, these dunes here. So White Sands National Park is the biggest gypsum sand dune in the world, and there's only two other gypsum sand dunes in the whole world. The geography of White Sands caused gypsum runoff from the surrounding mountains to accumulate in the basin. And the reason that gypsum sand dunes are so rare is because usually once gypsum gets in the water like that, it's just gonna keep getting carried out to sea and it never really gets to accumulate into much. Uh, but here in the Tularosa Basin, we're in a pretty unique situation where we are actually in a closed basin. So there's no way for water to flow out of this basin here. Rainwater pooled into the basin and evaporated, leaving crystallized gypsum 
in the basin floor. Uh, and that water will evaporate away. And what gets left behind is just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these crystals. Uh, so this is called a selenite crystal. It's just gypsum in a recrystallized form, um, but it's incredibly soft and incredibly easy to break down. If I wanted to, I can just start picking off little pieces of it with my fingers. Wind erosion broke down the crystalline gypsum into sand particles that amassed into sand dune shapes. Wind is gonna start hitting these crystals and start breaking them down into smaller and smaller pieces as they get moved towards the dune field here, like a conveyor belt. Uh, and as they're getting moved along, they are bouncing against each other. They're scratching each other up. And by the time they get here to the dune field and they're in sand-sized particles. These gypsum sand particles reflect light, giving the sand a glistening white color. Uh, these sand-sized particles are so scratched up and so reflective that they're actually like mirrors. Uh, and so light is going to hit the sand and reflect most of it back away. And that's why the sand here actually appears white to our eyes. Wait, what? That's why it's called White Sands. Even though the White Sands National Park has more sand by volume, the gypsum's fragility means the dunes collapse more easily. Gypsum can just break down into such small pieces that it basically just doesn't have the binding to hold itself together. And so like when you get to the edge of the sand dune and eventually it gets to what's called the angle of repose, which is just the angle that the sand just can't stack up anymore. And so it does a really big avalanche uh, where it all falls down. In comparison, the great sand dunes are composed of quartz sand and piled higher. So quartz is what most sand in the world is. So usually like beach sand is going to be quartz. Um, and so what that allows is basically, at, at Great Sand Dunes, I'm sure you remember that the dunes were really tall and you could spend, you know, two, three hours just climbing one dune. So theirs will get, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet tall just because of what they're made of is different. Here at White Sands, we only get about, the, our dunes only get to about 60 feet tall at the tallest. How can you help? Correspondent Madeline reporting that the groundwater levels are running low across the western United States. Town of Alamogordo, only about 20 minutes down the road to the east here, uh, they have identified that into the future a lot of their drinking water is actually going to come from the pumping of a deeper regional aquifer here, about 80 feet below the ground, uh, pumping that salt water up to the surface and desalinating it for the use of drinking water. If a neighboring town draws down on its aquifer, then the dunes underground water will be impacted too. Drawdown in the regional aquifer could mean a drawdown in our uh, elevated water table here. This could result in the gypsum sand being blown away if the water table is depleted. Uh, but over time, if this water table drops uh, or is depleted, the sands will begin to dry out and more and more of it will be available to be blown down the blown away from us here uh, and eventually the dune field will start to shrink uh, and my hope is just that the, the water is kept intact so that the sand dunes that you have seen today are going to be in the exact same condition for the rest of your lives and for future generations uh, of your descendants. You can help conserve water so the next generation can survive. Back to you Samantha.
three words. I asked intern Jackson to describe white sands in three words. I would go with unique, massive, and breathtaking. I would say uh, unique just because, like I said, we're one of only three gypsum sand dunes in the whole world. Uh, I would say massive because 275 square miles. Uh, tonight, if you go on Google Earth and look at us from space, the when the International Space Station flies over us here, they actually use white sands as a geographic uh, landmark because we are just a big white dot in the middle of the desert. So we are huge. Uh, breathtaking just because uh, I think just having a really big open space like this where you can just see for miles and miles and miles is not something that a lot of people get to see every day. And so I think when you get out of your car and you climb up that very first dune and you just take it all in, it's very overwhelming and, and uh, just a really uh, unique sight to see. 23,000 years of survival it definitely is unique, massive, and breathtaking. Thanks to intern Jackson for teaching me about surviving another day at White Sands. Thanks to Jeremy for the script and editing, and Madeline and Amelia for the sound effects. Thanks to Mom for exploring with me in real life. That was recorded and edited with Anchor. See you guys on the dunes!